Welcome to Beth Takun and our ongoing study of the Torah. I'm Tim Pell and I'm glad you're here. And here we are at the end of our Torah cycle that began with Chukat in Numbers in June of last year, 2021, when Grant jumped into the Torah cycle that was already underway in anticipation of his last year as congregational leader. We finished that cycle, began again back in Bereshit, and we land here with Vizot HaBracha. Vizot HaBracha is the 54th and final weekly Torah portion in the annual cycle. It records Moses' blessings over each of the tribes, excluding Simeon, his ascension out Mount Nebo, where he sees the land of Israel and dies at the age of 120, the mourning of Israel over his death, and highlights of Moses' unparalleled greatness. What it doesn't record is that they all lived happily ever after, but we'll get into that in a minute. A valuable lesson we've learned in the past from this portion can be found in the 33rd chapter, verses 9b through 11. This is the blessing over the tribe of Levi. It reads, For they, the Levites, kept their word, kept your word, and your covenant they preserved. They shall teach laws to Jacob and your instructions to Israel. They shall put incense in your nostrils and whole offerings on your altar. Bless, O Adonai, his abundance and his handiwork. Look on with favor. Smash the loins of his foes, that his enemies rise no more. Here we see a very important, we'll call it a formula, not that living the redeemed life is formulaic. Uh, If you protect God's words and covenant, one, you will be whom God uses to teach his word to others. Two, you will have a closeness with God in prayer. Three, your work will bear fruit and blessing. And four, God will destroy your enemies. So let me read that passage again. For they kept, the word there for kept is shamar, first found in Genesis 2 verse 15 when God put Adam in the garden to shamar it. So it's a kind of tending and protecting. For they shamar, your word, his imrah, his words, his speech, and your covenant, the berit, your contract, they preserved uh, natsar, um, is the word there translated preserved, as in like a vineyard. It's kind of a, almost similar to a garden. You're tending it, you're protecting it so that it can grow. They shall teach laws, mishpatim, to Jacob, and your instruction, Torah, to Israel. They shall put incense before you uh, off the nostrils, literally right in front of your face, and whole offerings on your altar. Bless, O Adonai, his abundance and his handiwork look on with favor. Smash the loins of his foes, that his enemies rise no more. Shemar, the garden and vineyard of God's words and covenant. Tend to them, protect them, that they may give life and beauty. And you will be blessed as the Levites. A beautiful truth. There's a lot going on during this time of year. The holy days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot have just ended. And in the midst of all the associated activities and festivities, we come to the end of this Torah cycle and anticipate the beginning of another. 
it feels like this portion gets a bit overshadowed by all that's happening around it, and we end up treating Vizot HaBracha like an epilogue of sorts. Our focus has shifted a bit, and we're ramping up for the next cycle. So let's slow down and see what we can find here. Something strikes me here regarding Moses. Moses' life is an extraordinary one. It's said of Moses in the last paragraph of the Torah, never again has there arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. Moses stands alone. And I agree, not just because the Torah says so. From the circumstances surrounding his infancy to his life as an Egyptian and flight to Midian, his return to Egypt to free his people from slavery, and his determination to lead Israel through the wilderness to the promised land. Truly remarkable. What strikes me isn't that he was praised, but that he's considered without equal despite the fact that he didn't complete the task. He messed up and was barred from entering the land and taking the people with him. And not only that, at the end of this remarkable life, under these unfortunate circumstances, he leaves the world with blessings on his tongue. He could have been justifiably bitter. The people who had so often turned their backs on him get to enter the land he worked so hard to bring them to. But he leaves the world content. In other words, Moses transforms what was taken from him into something that is given by him. He blesses others while standing so close to the land he worked so hard to reach and that he will not enter here. That is the mark of a truly remarkable life. Would you or I be as content and giving if we were in his shoes? Last week I said I would attempt to find the link between this portion and the very first portion, Bereshit. And I think I've found it, but it's rather deep, so bear with me. There are some established insights that we've heard before, uh, the first being that the last letter of the portion, the Lamed of Yisrael, and the first letter of Bereshit, a bait, spell the word lev or heart. It's believed that this is a kind of, kind of an Easter egg of sorts. Pardon my language. <laughs> I like that, but while it feels nice, I believe there should be more. The sages say that the last line in the Torah, it's not just the last letter, but the last line in the Torah and the first line, when put together in that order, form a complete thought that is the continuation. In the presence of all Israel, in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, and so on. This is nice too, but it isn't quite enough for me. So let's think about this. Vezot HaBracha isn't just the end of Deuteronomy, it's the end of the Torah. But it's an odd ending because it isn't really an ending, not in the traditional sense. There's no, and they lived happily ever after, right? The journey ends not at their destination, but just outside it. Why is that? Why does the Torah end here? And why do we go right back to Genesis 1 without continuing into the land, as it were? Is it a tease or some kind of masochism, cruelly withholding from ourselves the satisfaction of a completed task? We're left with big questions. What happens next? Do they go in? 
Do they live happily ever after? And despite what we know the answer to be historically, the bigger answer to this big question, I believe, is this. And again, this is deep. The answer to the question is, in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and there was morning one day. Going from the last portion to the first portion, we might ask, what happens next? Well, what happens next is God created everything. Will I live to see tomorrow? God created everything. Will I get the job? God created everything. Will I ever get married and have children? God created everything. Again, this is very deep. Going in the opposite direction, we can summarize it this way. The purpose of creation was for Israel to conquer the enemy and inherit the land. Did Israel conquer their enemy and inherit the land? Of course, because the world was made for her. And God created everything. The Torah's ending is a non-ending because we're to understand that our purpose is not yet complete. The co-work we're doing with the Creator to repair the world is a task too big for any one of us. We'll all just play a part just as Moses did. And so our part of the story picks up from where our predecessors' stories left off. And where we leave off will be picked up by our descendants, etc. I'd like to close by reading 2 Corinthians 4. It's fitting here as it instructs us in how to see beyond the present, beyond the realm of our questions, to the future where all answers will be given. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Yeshua Messiah as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Yeshua's sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Messiah. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of of Yeshua, 
so that the life of Yeshua also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Yeshua's sake, so that the life of Yeshua also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised uh, the Lord Yeshua will raise us also with Yeshua and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are are eternal. What does the future hold? God created everything. So ask yourself, how do I face the unknown? How do I deal with disappointment? What questions do I have that I believe couldn't possibly be answered by the truth that God created everything and that he did it for you? May God bless you. And may he make us all into the people he wants us to be. Shalom.